Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, everyone. Jeremy Scheinwald here with another episode of Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Our podcast is produced by, and here's a big cliffhanger for you, Venture for America, a fellowship program for enterprising recent college graduates who launched their careers as entrepreneurs and helped to revitalize America's cities. After five weeks of training, VFA fellows spend two years in the trenches of a startup in an emerging U.S. city where they learn how to contribute to a high-growth business. Afterwards, VFA provides the mentorship, network, and resources fellows need to become entrepreneurs. To learn more about Venture for America, to support our work, or even to apply to become a fellow, please visit VentureForAmerica.org. As I always note, I've been involved with VFA since its inception, and I'm a huge advocate. I sincerely wish it had been around when I graduated many years ago. Instead, I ended up launching the Mission Driven Group. Check out our firm at missiondrivengroup.com. And as for the podcast, you can like us and subscribe to us. And hey, why not even recommend us to a friend? Um, listenership is what keeps us going. So if you are a fan, um, you know, please take some initiative. That'd be great. Uh, today, we have Brian Brakeen on the show. Brian is the founder of Kairos, a human analytics company which specializes in facial recognition technology. Kairos's face analysis algorithms are able to recognize and understand how people feel in video, photos, and the real world. It's pretty cool. With Kairos, you can free yourself from flat data, make smart decisions, and reinvent how your business interacts with the world. Brian is an almost 20-year veteran of the tech industry, starting his career with IBM and moving up to the ranks via stints at Comcast and ultimately Apple, which was a position that he very much coveted, but he took a big risk, took the leap, left Apple, and started Kairos. I'm excited to connect with Brian because he's passionate about building his own firm. Uh, he's passionate about building Miami through entrepreneurship. He's brought VFA fellows to Miami, um, and uh, he and Kairos are creating jobs and opportunities in the area to the benefit of us all. Um, we're very thrilled to have Brian Brookeen on the show today. But before we bring Brian on the show, um, I have to ask you, do you need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? Most entrepreneurs will tell you that developing a good web presence is essential to getting your business off the ground and acquiring new customers. If you have a new idea or just need to upgrade your website, check out Wix.com. No matter what sector you're in, Wix.com has something for you. With hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates to choose from, the drag-and-drop editor, there's just no coded needing. You don't need to be a programmer or a designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. Used by more than 77 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. The best part, it's free. You can go to Wix.com and sign up for an entirely free account today. No credit card required. It's easy, and the result is stunning. Go to Wix.com today, and as Brian Burkeen will tell you, uh, it's a company that he loves because they have a strong presence in Miami. So with that, here is our interview with Brian Burkeen. Welcome to Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. 
Building things can be really hard, and entrepreneurship is often portrayed in the media as the sexy or even worse, easy career path. Through this series, we plan to pull back the curtain and tell the gritty stories of entrepreneurship. We're striving to create a relaxed environment where entrepreneurs feel free to tell their stories. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Okay, Brian, uh, thanks so much for being here. Good to be here today. Thanks for having me. I definitely want to talk about you and about Kairos, um, but we have to discuss this, of course. Kairos has uh, many identities, but for us, selfishly, we think of it as a VFA company. How did you hear about VFA, and how did Kairos become a VFA company? We're, I think we're first and foremost a VFA company these days. Um, <laughs> interesting. So, a few years ago, when VFA was looking for cities to expand in, um, we were able to get their attention here in Miami, Florida, the Knight Foundation. Um, hosted them, and uh, a gentleman named Hamad Hagman, who's spearheading a lot of the, the entrepreneurial events down here, uh, called me and said, Brian, would you mind giving a couple of the folks down there at VFA a, a, a bit of a tour? And uh, what was supposed to be a one-hour meeting ended up being a four- or five-hour drive all around Miami and South Beach, uh, showing them where all the entrepreneurial activity was, and uh, I think I was able to convince them to, to come. So VFA's mission is to revitalize cities through entrepreneurship. You're, you're a huge Miami booster and an example of homegrown innovation and technology leading to jobs and economic improvement and development in, in a city. Give me the argument for a tech firm locating to Miami as opposed to some of the places which are sort of better known as tech hubs. Yeah, you know, I get that question a lot. And, um, you know, we're, we're data geeks, as you can imagine, you know, being a facial recognition company. So um, the company actually started out west in San Francisco. And we moved the company back to Miami. Uh, and we did so after looking at a couple of different data points, including cost of living for the employees, cost of doing business for the company, a number of developers that develop PHP, which is our, our stack, um, number of folks that are coming in and coming, coming out. So we think this kind of constant churn of kind of new ideas and new people is certainly very important um, to any kind of in, in large ecosystem. And uh, also number of investors. And Miami came in number one in every single category um, that we looked at. It was absolutely kind of a shock to us, particularly in the capital area. Um, for a lot of the, the folks that are entering VFA and that are going to want to then move on to do their own business, it's really important to have a number of angel investors in a city to help you fund that early idea, right? Um, California has one angel investor for every three companies. Florida has three angel investors for every one company. So it's the clear choice. Were you, did you have no ties to the Miami region at all? You just kind of said, look, let's, let's do this analytically. And Miami came up and you said, fine, Miami. Kind of. I, I did live in Miami prior to that, but I it didn't let that sway, sway me. Um, I'm originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, so I'm a Northeast guy. Uh, I moved to Miami for about a year before moving to uh, California to work at Apple. So really no strong, strong Miami ties until we got back. Okay, let's, you mentioned Philadelphia and your, your roots. Let's talk about you um, and Kairos, too. I, I looked at your resume. You, 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 know, you seem to have gotten to where you are through old-fashioned hard work, uh, seemingly an almost 20-year career um, with methodical progress. You, know, you were a senior network technician at IBM, technical project leader at, at, at uh, ADP. You know, it goes on and on. Um, finally, a senior project manager at Apple. And for so many, you know, Apple is like the top of the mountain, the most prestigious thing you can do. Um, 
And you were there for, for almost two years after so much hard work. And I think that, like, we have a tendency to, uh, you know, I, it, there's obviously greater risk as, as you advance deeper in your career and, and your own personal prestige grows along with the firms that you work for. I mean, I, I guess it's a very long way of saying, how did you determine you could ever leave, uh, you know, Apple, which was, such a, which was and remains such a jugger- juggernaut, uh, to start something of your own? It's so interesting. Um, Apple was my goal probably all throughout my career. My very first computer was an Apple computer. Um, and it, it, the company continues to mean um, so much to me. And, and Steve Jobs' vision continues to be part of my own kind of guiding light and star. But I also realized in my time there that I had my own dreams and my own vision. And I really wanted to change the world. And that I couldn't do that by working on someone else's dream and someone else's vision. And so even though we had, you know, chefs making our every meal and we had Mercedes-Benz shuttles driving us around and every ridiculous accoutrement you can imagine uh, at a company, um, I just knew that to be truly happy, I had to stick it out on my own. And that's when I started Kairos. Was it something that was that was always there? Like, were you were you biding your time throughout each one of these? You know, waiting for the right idea, the right moment, or was it something that just happened? Was it fortuitous? Like, oh well, you know, I'm at Apple, and now this idea came to me, and wow, it came to me at, at just the wrong time because I'm, I'm where I where I wanted to be my whole life, but obviously the right time because I want to do this. You know, like tell me about tell me about the about your entrepreneurial you know leanings and process throughout your career. You know, there's always that nature versus nurture question, and uh, I think that's also true for me. My, to your point, all of my career, I'd always worked at large employers. I led large teams. Um, never had to worry about some of the I had P&L responsibility, but not, some, not any of the, like the startup-y kind of challenges um, that, that a large organization kind of allows you that, that freedom. So, no, I, I, I really didn't. I was always the, uh, you know, what I like to say, the, the, the problematic, you know, t- talented and gifted person. So... I always was so good that they couldn't fire me, but always asking too many questions, right? I was always the person saying, why do we do it this way? Why do we still do it this way? Why can't we change? So on and so forth. Um, That capability served me well in my consulting years at IBM, um, but ultimately uh, it doesn't lead to kind of fulfillment in a large corporate environment. But I didn't know that I was an entrepreneur until much later in life. And then being in San Francisco and kind of being around all that entrepreneurial spirit I realized that, you know, I could do that too. And I could, I had my own dreams and I had my own uh, ambitions and again, decided to kind of just go out and, and make a go of it. So you're in a bit of an, you're a bit of an anomaly. Um, you know, you don't have a college education. You know, Peter Thiel would probably be very proud of you. Um, <laughs> did that, did that, did that weigh on, on your decision-making? Does it enhance the risk as you, as you launch Kairos? No. <laughs> <laughs> Simple as that. That's the best answer on the show. You know, I just, uh, I think my whole life I've always been a little different. And that's just another example of, of which, you know, I was adopted at a very early age, probably six months, uh, eight months old, um, by two amazing, loving parents. And they've always told me, Brian, do what you want. You know, we're always going to be here to support you. You're always going to have a roof to come home to if everything doesn't work out. And even though I've, you know, I left my job at IBM to go to Apple, where at the time, Apple was not the juggernaut that it is today, right? So leaving Big Blue to go to a company that had only been bankrupt, you know, eight or nine years prior to that was not a clear indication of something that something, someone should do. Um, my parents were always very supportive, of, including leaving Apple after it got big. And I said, hey, mom and dad, guess what? I'm going to leave Apple and start my own company. And they were like, oh, my God, kid, you're killing me. But, you know, we love you and we support you. And so... Because of that, I always felt 
that I could make these kinds of decisions, including attending Penn State for a couple of semesters and saying it's not for me. Um, they didn't like it, but they supported it. And that support and that love um, really is what, the reason why I've been successful. Yeah, I find, I mean, I, I think that I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs through the podcast and, and other in and, and other venues. And, and uh, I, it's, it's amazing to me how much more important support from a community is um, than sometimes money or like lots of other factors that, that, that go into a business when you start out. So that, that, that isn't surprising to me. And it's nice to hear you talk so, um, you know, uh, personally about, about how important your, your family was. Um, so I, I read about you know how scrappy things ultimately became with Kairos, um, but let, we'll, we'll get to that. I mean, how how what I mean, you leave you leave Apple. I mean, what is Kairos day one? I mean, did did you have a ramp with it? Did you were you like okay, I'm working on this evenings and weekends, and we're 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 at a certain point where I can, or was it like okay, I got to stop doing what I'm doing and start working on this right now and put together a team? Where were you, um, you know, at at go? Wow. Well, so I think that if you look up the, the term scrappy, you certainly would find a picture of kind of us in, uh, in, in the dictionary. We were very scrappy in the early days. Um, I, I left left uh, Apple, sold some Kairos, some Apple stock. Um, I also was consulting at the time. So I would work and um, a couple of days a week consulting, take all that money, pour it into the business. Really, the first $250,000 uh, in the business was actually my own. Um, and then I was able to get some angel investors here in Miami to invest afterwards. Um, but so, yeah, so early on, it was everybody working nights, weekends, working a day job, working consulting gig, just trying to keep it going, trying to keep the lights on, trying to keep the stream um, alive until we could get some investment. So, yeah, you mentioned the investment. The like I read about it, and it seems like you just did like an endless a uh, number of, of of networking events and coffees, and you know had some good luck. But like when you when you when you look back, um, you know, was there were you making a mistake, or is it just is it just that hard to raise money? Um, it's hard to raise money. I'm, I'm going to definitely align myself with that statement, um, but. People at the early stage are not betting on companies. People are betting on people. And really what, you're, what, what I was doing, and I think what every early stage entrepreneur is doing, is getting to know people, taking every lunch, taking every meeting. Um, if someone says they want to introduce you to somebody, following up, um, being on time, being courteous, being open, and being extremely raw and open about who you are. I mean, literally, if you can open your soul to someone, and this is easier said than done, but I'm a firm believer in this, only good things can come from that because when people feel like they can understand the man or the woman, they're more likely to invest and they're more likely to kind of, you know, uh, go along with what you're what you're trying to build. So, you know, raising money can be so challenging and, and uh, you know, I'm curious if there was a snobbery from, from venture capitalists like, Real tech firms are in the valley. What are you doing in Miami? Or, or even was there a snobbery towards towards your the fact that you know you didn't have a college degree? You know, were were there? Um, how did you how, did you have those conversations? Did you sense that? How did you overcome that? If you did, so it's interesting. I am I'm a both a beneficiary and hurt by pattern matching, right? And so, um, and 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 just just to for those that don't know, pattern matching is this idea that. Okay, you find something or someone who's been successful in the past, and you go and try to find as many folks like that 
and theoretically you can be as successful, right? Um, and it, it gets to be a challenge when you're doing, dealing with actual people because um, we don't all look, sound, act, live in the same places, and that creates some some um, you know challenges. And, it, and that's putting it lightly. So my challenge, my my challenge at beneficiary side of pattern matching is one. Not having a college degree in the Valley is like a badge of honor. Uh, someone who jumped, dropped out of college actually is, is, is an indicator of, of great success. Or the, or they got the box or they're willing to take risk. And, and in some ways, it's actually been helpful to my technical career. It doesn't help you in a banking career or a legal career, but uh, it certainly helps you in a technical career. Um, but two, where I don't kind of meet the pattern is – uh, we, you know, I, we're based in Miami and, and San Francisco or, you know, pick another city um, is seen as the place. Interestingly enough, you know, we look at the number of investments, uh, the venture capital invested, the number of firms. Um, Miami has always been in the top five of, of at least in the last five years of, of number of startups in the country. Um, it was it was number two last year. I think it was number two this year as well. Um, it was number one a few years ago. So including in front of in front of San Francisco. So sometimes a pattern doesn't really tell you the whole story, um, but uh, you still have to kind of manage through that when you're trying to get investment. Um, you talked about running out of money, and I, I read this, and I, I, it, it, it truly gave me, gave me goosebumps. I, you know, I'm going to let, let you read it, because I think you know what I'm, what I'm talking about. So take it away. Yeah, I remember talking to the team. I'll never forget this conversation. In fact, I often get emotional when telling this story. Um, and I said... Hey, guys, you know, you're going to get paid this Friday, um, but you're not going to get paid next Friday. I'm not sure when you're going to get paid again. Um, and ultimately, you know, I failed you. It's my job to go out there and raise money and make sure we have the money we need for our operations. And I know that you guys have, you know, wives and husbands and children and bills and houses. Um, and those things aren't going to get paid, you know, through my I'm sorry. Um, and if you have to go and find a, find a job, I will write you the greatest recommendation letter. We will always be friends for the end of time. But if you can stay, you know, and if you can help us build what we're building here, I promise you I will give you every single thing, every hour, 60-hour weeks of my time until I make this right and until I can get this money for us to continue our operations. And it was a Friday. I remember going home for a very somber weekend, and I came in that Monday and not a single person left, not even one. And I remember just it's cementing in me that this business is all about people. Everything that we do is all about people. Um, we talked about investors and their belief in what we're doing, employees with their belief in what we're doing. Um, it's, it's can you explain your idea and can you have enough people believe in that idea to be successful? And so we'll never forget that as an organization. I owe everything to those people, and uh, I won't forget it. So, uh, uh, <laughs> so my, my question to follow up is, is, is so matter-of-fact, because I mean, obviously this is a very emotional, emotional story, but you know, like, how, how long did this payroll roller coaster, how, how long did this pay, payroll roller, roller coaster go on? Like, how did it begin, and how long did it go on for? I think that time, it was, and it's, there's been more than one, but I think that time was probably about four to six weeks. And was there, I mean, how... I mean, obviously, you had no visibility into when it would end. How did you, how did you manage such a volatile, volatile period? I mean, what, what kind of toll did it take on you personally? I mean, were you tossing and turning? You know, were you able to, to get a wink of sleep? You know, tell me, tell me about the, the the emotions with you and with 
with others? I mean, were there others who, who said, okay, I can give you another week, but that's it. I mean, just give us some of that real human drama. And I'm glad it worked out, obviously. Yeah, no one ever, no one came and, and uh, I mean, it's real strong belief on this team uh, and what we're doing and our impact on the world. You know, we're really doing this to make a dent in the universe. And people would do it for free if they could, you know, ultimately, and as I would. Um, you know, so I think we were, we were always kind of very aligned. Um, no one ever came to me with uh, any questions about leaving. But I, I will say that there is that kind of up at night phenomenon you mentioned, you know, a bit of insomnia. Though insomnia can be an entrepreneur's best friend. You can get a lot of work done in the middle of the night with no emails coming back to you. <laughs> um but yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, I am ultimately responsible for I uh, I believe every employee and their families, um, and that's a it's a serious responsibility that I take quite seriously, and it, it isn't always um, to my kind of mental or physical health's benefit. This isn't a job for the the faint of heart, certainly. But when you think about how you can impact people's lives in a positive way, um, it's worth the the, the challenges. We're, t- we're talking to Brian Burkeen here, and we're talking, you know, he founded Kairos, which is very sophisticated facial recognition software, um, and we'll talk about that in, in a moment. Um, but I think one thing that, um, y- you know, we can agree is that facial recognition needs to be pretty complex, uh, but if you're building your own website to start your own company, it can often be very, very simple, and you can even do it yourself, like one would with Wix.com. No matter what business you're in, you can get your site live today. It's simple to customize. If you don't know how to code, that's not a problem. There's no coding needed. Uh, millions of entrepreneurs create their own professional websites using Wix.com, and the results are stunning. Wix, Wix gives you access to hundreds of customizable templates and easy drag-and-drop tools you can get up and running today. You can go to Wix.com and sign up for an entirely free account today. No credit card required. Go to Wix.com today. So, Brian... I'll, I'll just add there, yeah, go ahead. coming out of the break, Wix.com has a Latin American headquartered office in Miami. There, <laughs> nice. Okay. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good unity to end my, end my bit there. I like that. Um, so let, let's talk about the use cases for facial recognition software. Like uh, on, your, on your site, you know, it's like market research, fraud detection, um, policing, and more. You have more than 300 different firms using Kairos technology. Are are things clustered in one area, or, or or is it really? What are the you know? Explain the the diversity of, of of uses and how they how they're arranged by customer. Interestingly enough, and just to give you a sense of how fast we've grown, where you know you wherever you found that number three hundred, and it's probably not that old, maybe a couple of years old. We now have nine thousand customers in forty. Whoa, that's how different uh, it's. Yeah, it's we're growing exponentially and that's kind of the fun of startup um those use cases are all over the place um so in, in healthcare environments if you say you come into a hospital you're unconscious maybe you're schizophrenic you have some other kind of mental health issue and you really can't even get across your own name because you're unconscious in the back of an ambulance um doctors can now use facial recognition pull up an ipad or an iphone and pull your medical record just purely from your face um, we're doing things in, in the event in the photo space. If you get onto a cruise ship or you go to a, a theme park, um, walk up to a kiosk, facial recognition, and then all the pictures of you on different rides you know, shows up. Um, we're doing things in the, the financial services space. When you go to purchase something um, like on a square device or something like a mobile payment device, 
using the front-facing camera to verify it really is you that is using your credit card, virtually eliminating credit card fraud and mobile payments. So uh, we're just doing a number of very interesting things. We also do emotion detection. And so for our advertising customers, we will show people advertisements, paid, paid panelists. We'll show them advertisements. We will read their emotions as they're watching the ad and report back to the advertiser what the good parts were, what the bad parts were, where it fell flat, um, and what they can do to improve the advertisement. So we're doing a number of different things all around humanity. Is there, is there, a, is there a favorite use of yours? I mean, that, 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 what you just said about the, the ambulance, to me, is just like mind-blowing. I mean, is there, is there an example of yours where you're like, wow, this is, this is like just an amazing and helpful use of our technology that I'm really proud of? You know, we love, the, we love the things that help people, and I've got a use that we don't even get paid for. We, we donate our services uh, in a couple of cases, and our team loves it, and we work super hard on these, on these use cases. There's one in India called Helping Faceless, and I, I, I invite your listeners to, to Google them. Um, a group of just a small team in India that there's a huge problem with, with child kidnapping and trafficking, where ch- children are kidnapped in the countryside, brought to the city, and sold to beggars who use those children to essentially get more money from people because they have a child with them. They're more likely to, to get money. Um, it's an absolutely abhorrent practice. Oh. And they were using facial recognition off the shelf, freeware type stuff, and weren't very successful. Um, they, they created this, this app helping faceless. People just basically saw on their phone, take a picture of the beggar and the child. Um, the, the, the image was searched against the National Missing Children's Database. And then the geolocation is sent to the police saying, that child was in this very spot. Please you know, come save them. Um, but it wasn't working because they were using such poor facial recognition. We put them on our, our best algorithm, the one that we sell for the, the highest amount of money for free. Uh, and they've been able to save six children. And it's, it's things like that that just makes us get up in the morning, to be honest. Yeah, that's, I mean, it sounds like, a, uh, it's like unspeakably amazing to think that you developed a, 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 a software that can allow for children to be liberated. I mean, I'm not even sure what I can say beyond that. Um, you know, you, you, I'm, I'm curious about, like, you know, you, met, you talk about the, the 300 firms to, to sorry, did you say 9,000 now? We're 9,000, correct. That's that growth is is crazy, um, and I'm curious. Like, you know, you go from this very tenuous reality where it's like you might not even make payroll um, to you know a trickle, and then obviously flow. Like, was there a moment? Like, what was the moment where you're like, you know what, we're we're gonna make it. I we're this is this this is over. And was there like one client where you're like, wow, you know, we I don't know whoever it is, you know, Goldman Sachs is using us now. Like that. We're here, you know. Is it, what? How did you? When did you know you were going to make it? It's so funny because startup is so binary. There probably was a moment like that, but I never got to enjoy it because it feels like it went from "Oh my God, are we going to exist?" to "Oh my God, how are we going to handle all these customers?" <laughs> right. <laughs> There's very little time in between, um, so I don't know if I ever got to that kind of blissful utopian moment. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of where I am now. How do I handle growth? How do we um, manage our teams, and how do we manage growth in a way that is, you know, we keep it going, but we're also kind of being fair to ourselves and to our investors. And uh, it's a it's a classic struggle. Are you, do you, are, are, have there been times you had to turn away clients? 
We haven't turned any clients away yet, but I can say that we've had to slow them down in some cases, and I don't like doing that. So, uh, right, you know, we're venture backed. You know, we've raised six million dollars so far. We're we're out here trying to raise another seven to ten million dollars now. We're having some some decent success, um, and so after we close that round, we'll be doubling the size of our staff, and we'll just continue to grow. So I'm curious also about the the, the sales. Like, how do you go into a massive corporate? bureaucracy and and selling in you know like selling in, in software I, I'm, I'm not a technical guy but I imagine that is all sorts of risks you know with the security departments of these big firms who are I don't know concerned about that I don't know you know they don't have the same safety mechanisms or whatever it is I imagine there's just a lot of red tape in, in and you tell me if I'm wrong certainly but I mean, how do you go about creating urgency and making someone want to buy this um, to buy you know Cairo software at a, at a big company our secret sauce is we don't. So you cannot convince someone who doesn't see the value in a, in a product like ours to go out and do all these things and overcome the technical or security kind of concerns that they may have. It's a very, very, very difficult sale. So what we do is we make ourselves available to be found and discovered when you need a solution. All of our customers are inbound. So all 9,000 of those that we just talked about were inbound from um, the internet and from other sources. And then we sell to customers who want our service as opposed to trying to convince others they need it. You must have a very happy sales team if, 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 all, if, all, uh, if all clients are, are inbound. Yeah, happy and busy, a mixture. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, in, in April uh, 2015, you completed you know, what's reported to have been a, a $2.7 million acquisition of, of, of IMRSV, is there a, am I, am I missing some sort of clever pronunciation of that? Um, immersive. Oh, there we go. What am I, I, I'm okay. I am, I am definitely missing a clever pronunciation of that. There we go. Um, <laughs> I need my vowels. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, you, you had enough school. You, you, you need vowels to pronounce yeah. that. <laughs> You've raised $5 million. Like, I mean, this seems like a, like a, like a bet the farm acquisition. I mean, did you feel that way? Um, I feel like every decision in, in, at this stage um, is bet the farm, to be honest with you. We just don't have enough. It was before recently. We didn't have enough time or resource to make a lot of mistakes. Um, and so part of this job is having a really high batting average um, and being really strong and convicted, uh, open-minded enough to listen to other points of view, but convicted in your ultimate decisions. Um, and so, yeah, we were we were felt very strongly that it was the right thing for our our company, and now that product represents about forty percent of our revenue. So, um, yeah, it was ultimately the right thing to do, and, and we did our homework. We thought it was a great company, and um, I think we we made the right decision. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, so so tell me about that, that thought process. Like, what did you what what made you determine that this just had to be done? You had to you had to acquire immersive. I'm, I want to say it again that way. This time, I get it right. <laughs> well, we think you know we see a world where a lot of people do a lot of different things around. People, people counting, um, you know, facial recognition, emotion. We want to be your kind of one-stop shop. You know, we believe that there there will be a, come a time when people want to go to one platform and say, "This is the platform we use for people," and it knows everything. It knows blinks. It knows eye tracking. It knows this. It knows that. It just if it's people, we 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 go to Kairos. And so, ultimately, um, a lot of these disciplines in computer vision are, are, are can be somewhat different branches of the same tree, um, same core tech with different branches. 
And so we need to make acquisitions. Uh, we'll, this is, that isn't our last. We'll probably do. We did two last year acquisitions. We'll do at least one or two this year, and uh, until we're until we're in an IPO. So I mean, in so many negotiations, interest drives up the price. How, how do you? You've done it. You've done three acquisitions now. I think is what you just said. So, how do you manage a? How do you manage an acquisition? Ah, uh, delicately. You know, it, it, it's it's a mixture of numbers. It can get to be bravado sometimes. It can get to be personalities. You got to find a way to kind of get it back to just the numbers. Uh, you have to build you know, again relationships. You got to be a good communicator. That you know, that particular skill of mine, communication and relationship building, has served me in every role I've ever been in, and it serves me. To double time in this role, um, but if you can cr- kind of create a, a a sense of trust, um, then a lot of things can be done. Lack of trust slows down business greatly, and so if you can build trust, and again, you do that, I think, by being brutally honest about yourself, your shortcomings, the and the truths and things about things, um, you can really get a lot of business done really quickly. And is this one of the responsibilities that, that you have? I mean, are you are you the guy who's 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 leading, who's identifying the strategy and saying we want to acquire that? And I'm going to lead the acquisition. Is it you and a, a team of uh, of lawyers in gray suits? Who 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 does who does the who does the uh, who, who does the acquiring? Correct. I do I, I do the M and A um, and manage the acquisitions. Of course, we have a team that is amazing of lawyers. Our CFO, you know, our internal team, our technical team to vet the quality of a, of a, of a solution. Um, but yeah, I manage the M and A process. You have team members in in Miami and London. Um, is that are they legacy of an acquisition from the the ones in London? Correct. We bought a, a, a design firm in London called The Spreads. We moved that the employees um, to Miami, um, so they're all in Miami now. Uh, we do. Oh, they're all in Miami now. In Singapore as well, though. That we worked for Immersive. And you know, like it's it's notable that you managed international workforces for 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 you built technology that manages international workforces for Apple. What's the secret for for keeping a team in Singapore um, really unified with a team in Miami? Well, culture. You know, um, there's a number of psychological evaluations you can do on somebody, but there are certain personality types that don't require uh, micromanagement. And I'm not a micromanager, so I know that about myself, and I've gone out and hired people that really thrive in a, in a very open and free and, and non-micromanaged environment. Um, the more freedom I give the team, the more that they deliver, to be honest. And in terms of, you know, like, the growth of, the growth of, 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 of clients, you know, th- th- zero to 300 to 9,000, what about the growth of staff? How have you managed the growth of, the growth of staff? I and mean, you're saying you try and give people a lot of leeway, but how do you, how do you ramp up and... and and make sure that in a in a fragile environment where something can go, you know, a couple of hires go wrong, it can sink the ship. I mean, what kind of process do you have around that? You know, I I'm pretty uh, that's my background. Let's start with that. So um, my career has kind of been in, in, in HR systems, HR management, back office, that kind of thing. So this is the one area of this business that I actually have the most experience in is people. Um, but then beyond that, I have made my mistakes in hiring. And ultimately, I believe in, in servant leadership. So ultimately, any hire that didn't work out is my responsibility. I failed that person. They didn't fail us. Um, I didn't give them enough support. Maybe I hired the wrong person. Um, but I, I take that upon myself, and I'm very reflective about the times that we've had to let people go. Um, 
because we work in an environment where it's it's very very open we don't have any standard hours you have to be in the office there's no required okay coming at nine leave at five that kind of thing you know if i don't see you for a week that's fine you have a responsibility to the organization and, and to your fellow co-workers and i i want to see that that responsibilities you'll see that through um and i'm here to support you and help you but it's really for you to drive that across the finish line and in that environment People will always either work up to or down to your expectation. I learned that over my long career. The people, the organizations that micromanage every single minute had the most problems, and the organizations that allow for the largest flexibility had the least HR problems of any of my customers, absolute least. So if you hold people to a higher standard, they will work up to that standard, and that's what we do at Kairos. So this is my magic wand question that I that I like to ask. Um, you know, aside from the funding, which which you're which you're working on, if you could wave your magic wand and make a problem as a as a founder or manager, owner, president, um, go away. What would it be at this point? What's your pain point? I we have a there's a there's a bias. Is it, okay, the the answer, the short and long answer is people have a cognitive bias toward the negative, right, and toward the extreme. So. This actually kind of goes way back to the African savannas. Like the person that was looked up and was worried about the rustling in the bushes because there might be a lion there and ran first, they lived. And the, and the person that was like, oh, I wonder what that is, they died. Right? <laughs> so so it, it makes sense that we now have, we all have this cognitive bias for the extreme um, and for the negative. That said, if I could wave a magic wand and remove that bias from people, one, I think they would they would actually, even though we're selling a ton of product now, we would sell 10 times as much because there'd be less of a concern about kind of the big brotherism. They would kind of trust and see us as the positive force in the world that we believe that we are. Um, two, I think uh, investors would have less of a bias for why you're building an extremely technical firm in, in Miami versus San Francisco. I think that they could see Miami for what it was and for this amazing place that actually 7,000 people move to Miami every single week. And the vast majority have a bachelor's degree or above. Um, we're actually, unfortunately, we're losing people without, with less degrees and we're gaining people that, are, that are, have more degrees. Um, but it's a great place to get talent. And if people could actually see Miami for the amazing, growing uh, metropolitan city that it is and move beyond this idea of, of beaches, sun, and uh, bikinis, I think that you know we we would do better as a as a company, and we would do better as a city as well. So removing bias is what I would do with my magic wand. And 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 to go back to the the fundraising, um, things have changed in the last little while. Um, you know, every day there's a story about um, you know venture capitalists becoming a little gun shy. I mean, have you have you felt that change? Are things are things tougher out there for you? Uh, you've obviously got this this spectacular growth. Um, what's it like out there? Yeah, I think that. Um, it's definitely hitting us more, not in the will we do a deal or not with you, because I think we have enough kind of traction and it's interesting enough space that we're, you know, we get venture capital. I think that it's the valuations are hit. As the unicorns have been kind of cut down to size, that trickles down to the Series A folks like ourselves. So, uh, yeah, I feel it in that, in the valuation sense. 
Uh, one last question, and then I want I want to because we got someone who clearly has a window into the future, um, and uh, and so I want to tell, I want to this is a sort of a rarity for us where we ask someone to bring out their crystal ball, but but uh, but I'm I, I want to ask a question that Andrew Yang, the founder of, of VFA, you know, talks about how. People shape businesses, but businesses also, over the long run, shape people, and people change because they're businesses. You know, how, how do you feel like you've your your company has changed you since 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 you started it? I am more confident. I think a person. Uh, I enjoy. I've always had a public speaking background, but I certainly enjoy it more. I enjoy thought leadership, um, and so I think it's really made me a, a certainly a, a better and more confident person. Um, but it also, at the same exact time, hasn't changed me at all. You know, I've been into servant leadership well before we, I found the Kairos. I've been into serving my fellow men. I mean, I'm from Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love, right? I mean, <laughs> it is who we are as Pennsylvanians. Um, and we have a, if you know anything about like Pennsylvania Quakers and coming together and, and sitting in, in, a, in a, all of our like Quaker schools are called friends schools. Um, we are obscenely nice people uh, in, in Pennsylvania. We pride ourselves on that. And I think that that part of me will never change. I've just been able to kind of build that Pennsylvania spirit into my Miami-based technical startup. Okay, so we're talking about the past. We're talking about, you know, Philadelphia you know, the, being at the, uh, the bedrock of the country. Um, let's talk about the future. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me. I, I know there's so many uses for, for, for Kairos, and then it's not just, um, you know, technology. But, I mean, you know, is there, is there a future for the cumbersome password that we're, we're all forgetting and have to, constantly having to be, you know, have to forget your password, send it to your email, or is that going to be gone in a couple of years from now? Will it all be scans? Absolutely going to be gone. And pretty much anything in your life that you find annoying will not exist. <laughs> I mean, because you're not the only person that has that pain and there is money in solving these pains, you know? So you'll see more and more applications. Apple use made open their biometric, um, sensor so like i have an ADT security system for instance and to log into it i use my thumb and no more passwords blah 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 i mean there's a number of different ways that biometrics are changing our world um there aren't going to be fingerprint readers on every device everywhere but our face will always be present and there are more and more cameras in the world so we believe that facial recognition is going to be the platform of choice particularly in mobile and particularly uh kind of it's very global in its nature um, it, it solves a problem that all humanity has that are, isn't unique to the Americas. And so 40% of our customers come from other countries. We, we got 800 web hits from Russia. We've got 500 web, web hits from Argentina in the last month, that kind of thing. Um, we just think that we're really poised to change not just the lives of folks here in the U.S. in a way that some of our kind of more, we'll say, you know, caviar-ish uh, uh, tech firms that people are starting now do. We think that we're solving real, deeper human challenges, and we can solve those challenges across the globe. Uh, anybody who listens to the show will know that I'm kind of self-deprecating about my own use of technology. Uh, I got on Twitter last week or a couple weeks ago uh, for the first time, like stuff like that. I sort of, you know, enjoy uh, thinking of myself as a bit of a Luddite. Um, but even I, like I, every time I use a key to open a door or, a, you know, every time I use a passport at the airport, I'm like, why? This, this, I mean, this just seems like such obvious technology to go. And I mean, even like keys right now, like it, it isn't, 
isn't there something now that could prevent us from walking around for, for, with keychains, or is that just is there something else that needs to happen, uh, you know, in order for us to achieve that? No, there, there are no less than ten facial recognition door unlock um, products on the market. I mean, it's it's already happening. It's just uh, a matter of uh, of checking it out, and I would. Hope, now that you're getting more and more technical, just tell me that when you've signed up for Twitter, you change your icon from the Twitter egg icon. That's, that's like, that's just not done. <laughs> I don't know if I did. I'll have to check. I'll, I'll get back to you on that. I think I did. Is that your, I, I, think I, put, I think I put my own, I think I put a photo uh, of, of my wife and I instead of, instead of that, if I recall. Perfect. Perfect. Well, welcome uh, to the <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, this has been a lot of fun. I mean, I mean, we're talking about the future. What's Kairos's future? Where do you want to see Kairos? Do, do you guys have a very well-defined strategic plan where you want to see, you know, X milestone hit and then Y milestone hit and then Z milestone hit? What's in the future for Kairos? We'll have an exit in three to four years. That exit could be IPO. In fact, that's our plan. Uh, it certainly could be acquisition. Um, but we'll, we'll exit in three to four years. I would love to be the CEO of a publicly traded company. Um, that, that means a lot to me. Um, but uh, I'm also happy to be senior vice president at, at Google and have a ton of money in the bank. So either, you know, either one <laughs> would, would be just fine. Um, I also think as an organization, you know, we have a, a large number of women uh, in, in our, for a tech startup. I think you know, we're, we're over 50%. And we're very proud of that. And I want to see that continue. I think that getting more and more women into not just Kairos, but tech, tech in general, is critically important for, for our generation and for this country. Um, and so we do a lot of work in the community with like Girls Who Girl Code, Black Girls Code, other organizations. There's a great Latina um, code group here uh, in Miami. And uh, we just want to see more and more women, women participating in the future. I, uh, that's a, a fantastic place to, to wrap. I mean, we, we, we take a lot of pride in that at, at VFA and on the podcast in particular. Um, I, I'm going to go look at the numbers, but I'm, I'm, we're getting pretty close to 50% in terms of men and women as, in terms of, as, as guests on the show. Um, so that's, a, that's a, a mission both of us can take up. Considering this 50% of the population, it's just about where it should be. So <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Brian, Brian Brookine, thank you so much for sharing the time. And we owe you an apology because we had to, we screwed up with, with technology once and had to cancel. And even today was a little, little delayed. So thanks so much for being a great sport and for joining us today. Good to be here. The pleasure is all mine. So proud of the work VFA is doing and excited to have him in Miami. Thank you. Bye-bye. is a time of renewal so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com we make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact choose from premium blinds shades and shutters we even have options for your patio too Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put 
put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.